point of no return, the addiction podcast brought to you by Narconon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hello, Joni. How was your week? It was good. It was good. We, uh, we had a great week at Narconon. It was, uh, it's getting very, very busy. It's, uh, it's interesting how the seasons kind of ebb and flow. Really? When it comes to, to rehab. Um, usually in the springtime, people are more apt to come to treatment. I don't know why. In the summertime, it kind of dies out because people are going to say, you know, I'll get, my, I'll get myself under control after the summer. I want to enjoy myself. And then right after summer, it gets real busy. And then right before Christmas in uh, Thanksgiving season, it dies out again. And then as soon as the holidays are over, because, you know, whatever happened during the holidays, the phones explode with people needing to come to treatment. It's like, well, Johnny face planted in his food again. And so he needs to go to rehab. <laughs> interesting. They ruined Christmas for the last time. So they're going to go to rehab. You know, the other thing, though, I think it's interesting about the cyclical you know, aspect to this, but the holidays are stressful for people. Oh yeah. You have to be around family members that you may or may not like who may or may not like you. You have to be around them. You have to be nice to them. Like, you know, look at the movies they make about it. You know, the dysfunctional families and the horrible Thanksgivings or the horrible Christmases. So that's probably a part of it that. Yeah. And also, you know, certain in certain families, you know, there can be people that cause you a lot, a lot of stress uh-huh. and really, you know, get under your skin, so to speak. And so, especially when everyone's brought together during the holidays, it's almost like a perfect storm that can happen. That's right. And, and if and if drugs are a solution for that, mm-hmm. you're not going to want to stop. That's right. Before that, before you have to go through that. Right. I, you know, I commonly hear uh, families will say, you know, I'm interested in getting my son or daughter help, but you know, we're going to wait until after the holidays, you know, they, they really need to be here, you know, with grandma, they really need to be here for their sister who's coming in from college. And, you know, it's really important that they're here and they're present they're with the family. And my jaw kind of hits the floor. It's like, okay, you just told me that your child is shooting a gram of heroin a day. He overdosed twice in the last year and he got, had to be revived with Narcan once. So let's, he, so let's say he died. And you're telling me that you want to wait like five or six weeks to get them into treatment so the holidays can be gone. They can just really be there. Because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. When you think they're going to quote unquote be there, they're going to be out the door copping dope, in and out, acting ridiculous, locking themselves in the bathroom, shooting dope, possibly overdosing before Christmas even happens, thus ruining Christmas. And like it's just completely illogical that they would do that. And so, yeah, there seemed to be a season um, for – People coming into rehab, and I don't. I mean, I do know why. It makes. I mean, it makes some logical sense, but I mean, when you're talking about addiction, nothing makes sense exactly. with, with addiction. Let's see, your son, you know, potentially is going to die, but let's wait before we get him help. Yeah, Grandma Let, really wants to see him because Grandma wants to see him. It that's nutty. Well, that's y- nutty. You know, one, I, I, one of the things that happens is that people have a lot of considerations that need to get handled before sending yeah. their loved one to treatment, and. You know, a lot of it honestly comes from, I think we talked about this last week, but a lot of families have that sense of like failing to help them if they failed rehab multiple times. Mm -hmm. So their major consideration is like, does rehab even work? Right. We talked about that last week. Yes. Um, But uh, yeah, right now what's what's happening in the world is so ultra alarming Mm -hmm. that it's almost, it's insane. I'm a blog writer. So at Narconon, I write a lot of the blogs. 
yep. that are online on the website that are just different articles about kind of what's going on, you know, give some people some information on how to handle addiction and tell them what addiction is. And it's just almost like an educational blog. Yeah. It also keeps up to date with what's going on currently in the world as far as addiction goes. And it's like I'll turn on my Facebook and I belong to certain groups. And one of the groups that I belong to is called I Hate Heroin. Mm-hmm. And there's another one called Heroin is Killing My Town. And they're really good about giving you like present statistics mm-hmm. about um, about the opiate addiction. I mean, the opiate epidemic. Sorry. Right. And um, it's like insanely alarming. We're now at the point I thought of society, and I thought this was real interesting, that heroin-related deaths outnumber gun homicides. I saw that. In this country. I saw that. That's insane. I know. I saw that. So more people are dying... Not because they're getting shot or robbed or murdered somehow with a gun, which, you know, let's go back hundreds and hundreds of years that guns have been responsible for killing people. And now heroin is completely outnumbering gun homicides. It's insane. That's insanity. Yep. You know, another thing we have going on is the evolution of drugs. Mm -hmm. So drugs have an evolution. You know, drugs start off one way and over time they become altered. Right. adulterated and changed and synthesized and man just keeps kind of messing with them uh, one of the biggest uh one of the biggest uh, examples of that do you know what spice is i yeah somewhat i've heard of it yeah spice k2 yeah so it's the synthetic marijuana so yeah, that, right. when when this drug was first created it was uh the urban legend says it was an isolated cannabinoid from an isolated compound from the marijuana plant right. um, that was synthetically reproduced and it can give you a legal high because <laughs> it's technically not legal so it's not controlled by the DEA and um, you could take it and you wouldn't fail a drug test. So you could get all the benefits, quote unquote, of marijuana without failing a drug test, without getting in trouble, without doing anything you know, illegal. Mm-hmm. And so it was this one compound. And that was okay for a while. You know, not too many people were getting hurt. You know, there were a couple of cases here and there where someone like went nuts and did something stupid. And then the DEA was like, hmm, this stuff is probably not good for the public. So we're going we're gonna to make it illegal. <laughs> okay, good. So now we have our first ban on the original spice. And then our intelligent chemists, or I call them underground chemists, took that chemical that got banned and changed its molecular structure. Mm-hmm. So it's now a different substance. It's very similar to the original one, but this isn't banned. So this is legal again. So we can sell this in all the gas stations and head shops and what have you. Now everyone can use spice again, except it's just it's just a little bit different on a molecular level. Okay, wait, stop. When you mess with something's molecular structure, you don't know what it's going to do. Right. You don't know what... You, it's a completely different compound You don't now. know what the outcome of that's going to be. Uh-huh. All, all these people cared about was making another compound that was legal so they could sell it. Uh-huh. And then so what would happen again is now we have some more cases of people going a little nuts. And there was... I think there was actually a news story that a guy ate the face off a homeless guy while under the influence of spice in Miami. Yeah, <laughs> if everyone could see Joni's face. <laughs> yeah, there was a news story. This guy who's high on spice, like, bit the face skin off a homeless guy. Um, And so now we're starting to see, okay, so... Maybe there was something wrong with that change in molecular structure. Right. So the DEA would come in and ban that one. Right. So what do you think they did? Then they just do it again. Oh, right. They changed yeah, the they molecular structure again. Yeah. 
So now fast forward, we're probably 20 odd deviations away from what that original compound was because it keeps getting banned, then they change it, gets banned, then they change it, and you know, it gets banned, then they change it. Now we don't even know what spice is. Right. We don't know what it's like some mystery substance that not only is it making people go absolutely crazy and do very odd things and causing major psychosis and all this stuff, it causes major addiction Mm. and major withdrawal symptoms. And it actually alters people's personalities in a certain in a certain sense. And so we have this like this mysterious drug that's been changed so many times that, yeah, they don't even know what it is anymore. And all the time I read news stories of people, you know, eating their cats or, you know, throwing themselves in front of automobiles or they're hearing and they're hearing voices that are telling them to do things and they just absolutely lose it all in the name of a legal high. So the evolution of drugs is crazy. Another one was bath salts. Mm-hmm. You, I remember hearing about that. So bath salts originally was a drug called methalone. Okay. Was this compound. And it's a re, it's called a research chemical. Um, <laughs> I think that's a really like nice way of saying it was we really don't know. This is experimental. We really don't know what it is, <laughs> but we're gonna sell it online. Uh-huh. And that's the thing about these drugs. With synthetic drugs, you can buy them online, and they're most of them are considered legal, and wow. they all come from China. Or mo- I'll say most of them come from China. There's some other countries where you, where you can get them from, and you, you, it's as easy as like going online to a certain website and purchasing a bulk amount of these research chemicals. And then they show up at your doorstep in a nice, discreet little brown box. Unbelievable. For you to kind of take in your basement and go nuts, I guess. I don't know. Uh, unbelievable. But um, yeah, so bath salts was a thing called methalone. And they did the same thing with bath salts that they did with spice, is that they kept... It would get outlawed and then changed and then outlawed and then changed. Right. Until it became a substance we don't even know what it is anymore. And so the world of drugs is crazy. And I, I, I brought up synthetic drugs because... I find that synthetic drugs are interesting in the fact of we have okay, so we have cocaine, we have heroin, we have painkillers, but people still like forget we have this like group of mystery substances that kids can just go online and order. You can never be able to test for it. And the only time you're going to know if anything's going on is if your 15 or 16-year-old kid got a random package in the mail and three hours later, they're hearing voices hallucinating in a dark basement. Or eating the cat. Or eating the cat. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, a, really, it's a really weird thing. that we work, Society is constantly looking for a new way to get high. Right. Is what I believe. Right. With these synthetic drugs is that there's constantly a search for a new way to get high. I mean, when I was in high school, the quote unquote new way to get high was to go drink an entire bottle of Robitussin and feel weird for about 12 hours. Right. But then you hear about mouthwash or, you know, there was sniffing glue and stuff. One time someone told me that it was speaking of synthetics, I'm kind of bridging over here. Somebody once told me that it's harder to withdraw from methadone than it is heroin. It is. And methadone's a synthetic, right? Methadone. So here's a little history on methadone. Methadone was originally synthesized by the Nazis in World War II. And the reason There's a recommendation right there. And as a Jewish yeah. and as a Jewish man, you know, that yeah. <laughs> bothers me more than I can state. So anyway, um there was a shortage of morphine in World War II. 
Okay. And so the Nazi uh, chemists cr- tried to create something that could substitute for morphine because of all the soldiers that were getting injured. And so they synthesized methadone. And they used it, and uh, it worked for a little while, but they found out in high doses that it was like really, really dangerous. And that there were horrible side effects, and it wasn't really workable. So they stopped using it and went on to, I guess, something else. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they created meth. Oh, okay. Nazis created meth, too. So the soldiers could just like fight and fight and fight and fight and fight and never stop. What's so, the difference between meth and methadone? Oh, so methamphetamine. Oh, methamphetamine. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Methamphetamine yeah. Is, a, is speed. Amph- yeah, yeah. Methadone it. is yep. a synthetic opiate. So after it, they they realized that methadone didn't work really well mm-hmm. um, in World War II, it kind of went away for a while, but it resurfaced in the 60s because you had all the GIs coming back from Vietnam hooked on heroin. Right. And so... They started using methadone in the 60s as a de- as like a replacement drug, as like a way to detox people off of heroin or okay. other opiates. And then that kind of continued up until – and it used to be like you went to a doctor. They gave you a certain amount of it and you went home. Fast forward a little bit, they create clinics where you go get one dose a day of methadone. So you have to constantly go to a clinic each day at you know usually about 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning. And get methadone. And um, it used to, the original indication for it in the 60s was it's a detox drug. So we're going to use this as an intermittent solution to get you through your withdrawals. Mm-hmm. And then you'll eventually stop taking the methadone. You'll be drug free and everyone will be real happy. But now we've gotten to the point where methadone is used for long term treatment to prevent relapse. Right. So it's a drug for drug mentality where we're, you know, you're on this, you're on heroin, which is a drug. And we're going to give you another drug to take the place of that drug, except. This drug is going to be given to you by a pharmacist or a clinic instead of, you know, the dude on the corner or right. where, wherever you get your heroin because from. Because it's legal. Because it's legal. Right. It's, a, it's controlled by the government. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's a way that the government makes a lot of money is um, at the cost of, 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 you know, a person's addiction. They get to take them off heroin and they see it's profitable. I mean, to go to a methadone clinic, it costs you, I think it was between 80 and $150 a month. Wow. To get a dose that probably costs two cents to make. I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing. But it's not an expensive substance, you know, in its production cost. But the government produces it, not like pharmaceutical companies? Well, pharmaceutical companies, oh. absolutely. Yeah, you follow fund, the money. Who are funded by... Big Pharma, yes. Right, it's Big Pharma. Yes. And so the pharmaceutical industry... Run, runs the whole um, medication replacement therapy or MAT or medically assisted treatment is what they call it. So it behooves them to get people addicted to method, uh, to heroin well, so that they yeah, can put them, them on methadone. Yeah, get them addicted to their drugs. The other one's Suboxone. Suboxone was a drug that was indicated for it just to be used for detox. So it's like you went on Suboxone. First, you got to go through withdrawal for 24 hours. Okay. And then take your first dose of Suboxone. Then they build you up to a certain dosage and then taper you off and then you're off drugs and everyone's happy. But now it's honestly being used off label. Like the original indications of Suboxone are not to consistently take it for years and years and years and years, but that's the way it's prescribed. Right. Is <laughs> that. And, and so, do you know what Suboxone is? No. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a compound drug. So, there's a drug called buprenorphine in it, which is a partial opiate agonist, which means. It like only activates some of your opiate receptors, not okay. all of them. Okay. And then it has uh, naloxone in it, which is Narcan, which it, the reason they put naloxone in it, which is an opiate blocker, was to prevent people from being able to abuse the drug. Because if they were to like crush up the pill and shoot it, they would get violently ill. Okay. Didn't work so well. Okay. Um, you can get really high 
off Suboxone. Um, and if you take Suboxone and you're not an opiate addict, I've done this. I've taken two milligrams of Suboxone before, and I wasn't an opiate addict, and I have never been that high for that long in my entire life. I'm like, this is a detox drug? It's like, wow. <laughs> it was like really intense. And so, you know, there's there's two major schools of thought when it comes to treatment. There's like the medically assisted treatments, the way to go, because, you know, you come off the dangerous drugs and the uncontrolled drugs and you go on the pharmaceutical industry's drugs and it's the lesser of two evils. At least, you know, I'm on Suboxone or I'm on Methadone, but at least I'm not shooting heroin anymore and this stuff saved my life and I owe my life to Suboxone and I'm now a productive member of society and I can go out and I can, you know, take my Suboxone and take my Methadone, take care of my kids, go to work and all this stuff and I sit back scratching my head thinking, you're... You're still addicted to drugs. Right. You're still a drug addict. You haven't done anything to figure out why you need drugs in the first place. Right. All you've done is you've given up one and taken another. It's like a fight fire with fire mentality, and it's stupid. Yep. (laughs) I mean, one of my... Say it like it it is. It's stupid. It is really dumb because... You can't. All right, yeah, all right. So you can't take Suboxone or Methadone for the rest of your life, and when you start taking at twenty five. So you're trying to tell me when you're eighty years old, you're still going to be dependent on that drug? And people will say, "Well, no, I'll, I'll come off it eventually." Yeah. No, you won't. I mean, when eventually, when is it ever going to be convenient to go through that withdrawal? Exactly. And so to answer, to go back and answer your question, the one reason why people end up staying on this stuff is that, especially with Methadone. The detox from methadone is 10 times worse than kicking some of the strongest heroin habits. That's what I had heard. It is insanely bad. Uh, One big reason is that methadone takes all the calcium out of your bones, a lot of the calcium out of your bones. Part of the way it reacts in the human body is it takes calcium out. Okay. uh, And it deposits itself in your bones in place of calcium. Wow. And so when you come off methadone, one, you're super calcium deficient. That's why a lot of people on long-term methadone, you know, who have been on it for a long time, have their teeth are rotting. Lose out. their teeth and Lose stuff, their yeah. teeth because yeah. all the calcium is taken out of the body, the teeth rot out. Mm-hmm. Um, so now you're toothless and, you're, and you start to decrease your dosage. And a lot of people can only decrease by two to five milligrams a week because wow. the withdrawals are that intense. And it's characterized by major, major, major skeletal bone joint pain. Okay. Like, it is very, very uncomfortable. Um, I've heard heroin withdrawal characterized as, imagine the worst flu you ever had. So okay. let's think back. Yep. Imagine your worst flu. Yep. Now multiply that by about 20. Okay. And that's basically what it feels like to come off heroin. Okay. I mean, it's like you're violently ill. Right. In every way possible. Right. And so methadone is even worse than that. And the fact is, you can't. Ta- you have to taper down, yep. and some people can't even handle the taper because they get so sick. So they just go back up to their dose and say, "You know, what? I'm just going to take this forever," right? Because they can't confront that. They right. can't face how, how sick they're going to be. And the same thing goes with Suboxone. Some people will come off Suboxone, which it's easier to come off Suboxone than Methadone. Okay. Like world's easier to come off the drug. But it's the protracted withdrawal symptoms that are awful, which means extended, protracted meaning yeah, extended. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And so some people are withdrawing from Suboxone for months. Wow. Like you're feeling the effects right. of that for months. I right. mean, the withdrawal ter- is absolutely terrible. Wow. And so it's like, I think that's kind of like, 
with any when with any quick fix, there's gonna be some like major consequences. Like methadone, suboxone are a quick fix to your addiction. Uh, you don't want to go to rehab. You don't want to face your problems. You don't want to deal with anything. You don't really want to put too much work in. Why would you when the doctor's like, I'll just give you this drug. You're going to be fine. You yeah. should take this every day. Yeah. Um, and that's a quick fix. And like I said in a previous episode, there's no quick fixes to achieve long-term sobriety. And so with a quick fix, you're going to get like a major co- consequence to your, to your choice. Because it, there's no such thing as a magic cure. There's no magic potions. There's no silver bullet. It's like... You're going to kind of get what you get for deciding to go that route. Right. Um, in, my, in my estimation, it's way easier to go put the work in and go to, go to a treatment center like Narcanon that's going like, to figure out how oh, it's going to help you figure out like where everything like went kind of wonky with you. Right. And where, where everything, you know, where drugs started to become a solution to every problem and get to the bottom of all that. Um, the answer is for addiction is not in another drug. It's in like actually handling the underlying root causes. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that makes Narcanon so unique um, is the fact that you don't, you know, use a drug to get somebody off of a drug because it really doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Do you get guys off of Suboxone? You've done that, right? And Methadone. And Methadone. We do. We absolutely get people off Suboxone and Methadone. Does it take longer? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I mean... What's the time difference, just roughly? Like, if someone's on heroin, how long does it take typically to detox if it's just heroin? Typically, seven to ten days. Okay. Everyone's different. No, I know, I know, I know. But then methadone in comparison, is it twice as long? You're looking at a few weeks. Really? Yeah. Just to... Depending on how much you were on. Now, I'm talking... I said detox. I meant withdrawal, like to stop taking... Okay. Yes, I'm with you on that. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean... And And then Suboxone, how does that... What is that in terms of time wise? Just I know everybody's with, different with either suboxone or methadone. You're looking at like, you're looking at you know two to three weeks of okay. like going through it, okay. and uh, you know a lot of people try to do that like on their sh- on their couch at home and just sit there in the fetal position shaking themselves to sleep every day. Um, and, and how long like, are you going to do that before you go? You know, I felt better on the drug. I'm just going to go back to the well, drug. That, that's why it doesn't work. It, it was interesting. One of the guys that was at the graduation I was at at Narcanon mm-hmm. and. I I don't know his name or anything. It doesn't matter. But he he was in the middle of withdrawal. It was very obvious to tell versus the guys who had done the withdrawal and you know even then those who'd done the sauna program. You could just see he was going through stuff. Well, you you can see it, and it's it's interesting because I do intakes. Mm-hmm. So I do the paperwork mm-hmm. when people are coming in, and, um, and they're usually high, you, aren't they, when they come in? Well, typically? there's 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 two types that come in. The person that's really, really insanely high, yeah, because they like they really went in for it before before they came. Got I'm the coming plane. off. I'm gonna like. Yeah, I'm going my, to rehab. My last hurrah. I'm really gonna go. You know, really get really messed up. Um, the other type is a person that is like in the throes of withdrawal mm. already, and you know. They've Somebody, tried it on their own, and, and obviously like they know not it's not going to work. Right? And these people come in, and they're sitting in my office rocking in the chair because they're so uncomfortable. And uh, they're there only with the promise that, you know, we're going to help them. Right. Any which way we can. Right. And, um, you know, it's hard to do It's hard to do it on your own. Right. You know, some of the most uh, controversial blogs I've written have been about suboxone and methadone. Because you've got, like I said, you've got these two groups of people that think that suboxone and methadone are like the bee's knees and the answer to everything. It's like, and God put this on earth to like, you know, help every, you know, addict ever. And other people are like, that is a stupid, not logical way to do, 
to get to get clean. And these people argue on my on the on the Facebook account because uh-huh. I'll put the um I'll put the article onto the Facebook so like everyone can see it and like it can reach a lot of people and and then you get a lot and then, of back right and forth. then I look down at the comments and it's like there are seventy five hundred comments. It's like oh my god. <laughs> and I look through it and some of these people like really go at each other. Yeah. Because it's like these two like really opposing forces. Yeah. And they both think they're right and they both want to be right real bad. Yeah. And um. It's interesting to see where some people in society are at mentally with uh-huh. like all this. And yeah. there's, like I said, there's some people that really love love the drug for drug mentality. Um, well, I, and and just parallel to that, I've always been. I mean, you read about these things where some guy goes into a high school and shoots a bunch of people. Right. One for one, they're on psych drugs. Or one, they're in with, or they're in withdrawal. Yeah, one for one, they are. And when you say that to some you know, like doctors or psychs or whatever, they go, oh, well, they weren't taking their meds properly. It's like, no, 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 no. The drugs cause them to act like this, right. you know? Right. And it's it's very hard for a lot of people to confront that, oh, there's this doctor who's actually actively prescribing drugs that will make you insane. Yeah, I mean, okay, so let, let's let's talk about psychiatry just for a brief moment because yeah. this, is, this is a big thing of mine you know i was a kid of the eight i was a child of the 80s and right. so like in the in the 80s and the early 90s is like if your kid ever has a problem that you consider undesirable and, and like in regards to their behavior you just medicate them right you just, just throw some meds at them and it'll be fine yeah and you know anyways and so i remember a doctor was sitting there telling me one time oh well you have a you have a a, a chemical imbalance I mean, how do you how do you know that? There I are no tests. Thinking, how do you know that I have a chemical imbalance? And the thing is, is that there is no way to prove there's a chemical imbalance in your brain. That's right. Aside from them sticking a needle in and your taking head, it, yeah. the top of your scalp open and biopsying a piece of your brain, right. which they can't do if you're alive, right? Without some like consequences that's exactly right and uh and test it so there's no way to tell but i can guarantee you this there's definitely deficiencies in chemical imbalances after taking those drugs right right because that's what they cause i'll guarantee that yes Um, so take note anybody listening if someone says you have a chemical imbalance in your brain ask them how they know that ask them what test physical test they did to prove that you have a chemical imbalance in your brain because you know what there isn't one yeah, and the thing is, a lot of a lot of addicts get used to the fact that they're not used to the fact. I'm not going to say it's a fact that the idea has been implanted in them that they have that they're mentally ill, and that's why they're drug addicts. Right? Is that you're an addict because you've got a you know a behavioral disorder, you've got a personality disorder, you've got an anxiety disorder, and depressive disorder, and they're like. And their their mind starts kind of like going like in circles because they just got told that there's multiple different various things wrong with them internally that that's why they're doing what they're doing and then it clicks for them yeah and it guess all what makes sense I'm diseased I have a problem I'm mentally ill that's why I do this and the doctor's like right so you need to take these meds and you're gonna be fine and they're like yes give me those I I can I'm I am already ready to go to the pharmacy and fill that because here's the thing. The doctors fill their head with a promise that this is going to fix them. But here's the insanity, Jason. You know where those problems come from? You know where those diseases come from? Where? A group of psychiatrists sit around in a room and decide, oh, we're going to call this, 
you know, mathematics syndrome, or we're going to call this kleptomania syndrome, or we're going to call this some other syndrome. We're all going to decide that this is a mental illness and we're going to put it in a book. Right. There's no test for it. There's no medical evidence that proves it. They just all sit around and decide that this is a new disorder. And therefore, for this disorder, we can prescribe certain medications. Right. And so like for me, I was put on Ritalin at age eight, eight years old, and I'm on a drug that's almost identical to cocaine, right. very similar to cocaine. Because you were talking oh, I, I, in my, class? My, my, uh, my, I think it was my first or second grade teacher said, uh, you know, I think she sent a, a note home with me. I don't remember specifically, but it was to the point of like the fact that I would rather be running around outside with my friends and I was staring out the window a lot meant that I had fragmented attention um, that, you know, she's she thought I had ADD. And so, you know... I got put on really fragmented now, attention. Well, fast forward. the The guy, the doctor that helped enter ADD, ADD or ADHD diagnosis in the DSM, uh-huh. he just died a couple months ago. And apparently, I um, a CCHR put an article out that um, talked about the fact that on his deathbed, apparently, he made some like startling confessions about ADHD is completely made up the BS disorder like wow. doesn't really exist. I don't remember what he said specifically and I wish I could give the audience listening a way to look that up. Well, they could probably go to cchr.org and cchr is Citizens Commission on Human Rights and if you go to cchr.org they can probably yeah. find that. It was really I was like, well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But so a lot of addicts, you know, get told that they're like mentally ill and so that the psychiatric drugs are a way to handle that. And so that come, kind of goes along with the disease concept that I don't really agree with. That's wrong. So. Well, it doesn't work. It hasn't worked. You'd think people would, would notice that it hasn't worked. Yeah. Um, I mean, for some people, it works. Okay, good. For those people, <laughs> that's fine. I mean, for the masses, you know, they, they require something additional. They require more than just like you have all these diseases. And so take your meds and, you know, find God and do all the things that we, we tell you to do and you'll be fine. Um, or, you know, suffer the consequences. And so when that doesn't work for a lot of people. I'm glad there's alternatives because I'm very happily not taking psychiatric meds. Exactly. Um, and I did for a lot of years yeah. because I got told as soon as I went to 12 step rehabs that I was like, I got told I had antisocial personality disorder mm-hmm. and a mood disorder, a sleep disorder, an anxiety disorder, and a depressive disorder. And then what is that? Five? That's five. Yeah. Five. So five different medications. Yeah. About. Okay. I went in, I went, I came out of the first rehab on more drugs than I went in on. Wow. That's like, that's, wow. So to circle back, um, yes, you know, I don't believe in the drug for drug mentality. I don't believe in the methadone or suboxone for opiate addiction. I don't believe in the psychiatric drugs for all the quote unquote disorders that a person has. And that's what causes them to use drugs. Right. I don't, I don't believe any of that. You can't just take a pill and expect all your problems to be solved because the world and the universe don't work like that. That's not how life works. That's right. You have to put some work in. If you've gotten yourself into a pretty bad situation, it took a lot of work to put yourself in that situation. It's not right. like a person became a complete, you know, you know, junkie in one day. Right. You don't end up being the guy you know, nodding off on the on the on the public transit bus overnight. That doesn't. You don't go from like star student to that. Right. It takes time. You know, an addiction is an insidious thing. 
and kind of hangs out in the background and slowly builds up. And then before you know it, you get slapped in the face and you look around and you're like, oh my God, what happened? You mm-hmm. know, you're looking around your apartment where you sold everything. There's no food in the refrigerator. It's dirty. And you're, and you're dope sick wondering how you're going to get your next fix because you're waiting on the dope man to come who said that he was going to be there three hours ago. That takes time to get <laughs> to that point. And so to get out of addiction, it takes work. It takes some work. It takes some time to get out of what took you a long time to get into. Yep. You know, that that's interesting because what I wanted to talk about today, and, and I think everything we talk about is relevant, so it's fine, is I happened to catch a documentary about opioids. And the statistics on opioids in this country are extremely alarming. Right. Now, one of the interesting things they said, which fascinated me, and I didn't know this, was that in 1999, Purdue Pharma came out with all these ads saying that opioids were not addictive, they were not dangerous, they could not hurt you. And then, of course, many, many people got addicted and died and got on heroin and all of that. So then in 2007, Purdue Pharma had to pay a huge settlement right. in a huge class action suit. Mm-hmm. But but here's the point, because when I was watching this, I, I got a little bit concerned, because one of the stories was about a woman who had had her third cesarean and came home with a bunch of different painkillers and began abusing those painkillers and eventually, you know, went did heroin or whatever, and she eventually overdosed. Right. And I got very concerned because I I know of a young woman who's probably going to have to have a C-section coming soon. And I was like, oh, my God, I hope she doesn't take painkillers. But I think that just taking painkillers one time when you absolutely have to have it, like someone who has cancer or someone who's had surgery, I don't think that that necessarily automatically moves you into becoming an addict. No. Now, it talked another story talked about a young man who had had a cyst removed and had been prescribed opioids after that, but four years later, he dies of a heroin overdose. There has to be, I'm not, by, I'm by no means saying that opioids are okay, by no means. And I remember when I had my son and I had a C-section and they were like, oh, here's a painkiller. And this is 30 years ago. I said, listen, this is way less painful than labor. So I, don't, I would prefer not to take any painkillers because I, I kind of don't, I don't have that mentality that to fix something, I'm going to take a pill. I just don't. Um, you know, so I, I think that there's other things that do come into play. I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but anyway. I, know, I can see where you're going with it. Okay, it makes sense. You start talking then. <laughs> no, I mean it makes sense because there's okay, there's the whole thing of like not every person who takes drugs becomes an addict. Right. And that's what I'm trying to say. Not every person is going to, you know, it's not like every person's not like me for instance. I did one line of cocaine. I was like, "Oh my god. All my problems went out the door. Right. This is the panacea for all that ails me." Right. Um not everyone has that cognition. You know, I was in a fraternity at U Miami. Mm-hmm. And I had lots of brothers and friends in the fraternity that could, on the weekends, party it up, drink, do coke, smoke pot, whatever it was. And come Monday morning, they're up, they're going to class, they're you know doing their thing. And I'm still like, I'm still going doing coke well into the week. You know, I became an addict and most of them did not. Okay. Because... Not everyone's going to do drugs and have the idea that this drug is going to solve their life problems. That's it. Solving the problem with the drug, yeah. Because not everyone has those life problems. Right. And not everyone's going to think 
that the drug is the solution to those life problems if they do have them. Right. But it takes, you know, it almost takes the perfect storm. It takes the right drug at a right time in your life where you're having a certain amount of issues and then you take the drug, it hits you and you have this And it solved that problem. And you have this whole reaction to my, like, oh my God, I need this to survive better. Yeah. And not everyone, not ever, most people in the world don't have that reaction to drugs. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. There's people that can literally, there's a lot of people out there, I'm sure, that can take a, a shot of heroin right into their veins and never pick it up again. So, oh, that was fun, but okay. Yeah. Well, you know, interesting. And, and I'm glad we're talking about this because this answers a question that I've had in the back of my mind. I met a woman probably about five or six years ago, and she was a Tai Chi instructor at the uh, gym that I was attending, that I was going to. And so she was into very healthy things, you know, and she got sick and the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong. Um, It had something to do with her intestinal system or what have you. And there was no cancer. There was, they tested for every classic thing, you know, irritable bowel, whatever. They did all this stuff And she ended up in the hospital and I went down to visit her to see if I could do anything to help her. And I started talking to her and she was probably in her 70s. And she told me that when she was in her 20s, she was, she abused alcohol, she abused cocaine, she abused heroin. She did it all for a period of time. She said, I would drink, I could drink a bottle of champagne a day the whole thing. And she quite matter of factly told me this whole time that she'd had, and it was several years when she was, you know, I could say cocaine, heroin, the whole thing. She just quit. Right. She just flat out quit. However, what she was experiencing, and I know this for a fact, I didn't say it to anybody because it was kind of pointless at that point. I think her insides were basically just disintegrating. Well, they were. Because you can't do that and not have long-term physical bad things happen to you. You can't. Unless right. unless you do, you know, something like a program like Narconon where you are actually sweating everything out of the fat t- tissues and putting back in the nutrients and such. And I it's it's interesting that you say that because I've been thinking, you know, and when when we talk so much about addiction, you know, and for those of you out there who think maybe you're not addicted, but you absolutely have to have it every day because you have a problem, think again. But this was an interesting this was an interesting thing that yeah. she just quit. She just decided to stop. So that's like it's a, it's similar with alcoholics. Mm-hmm. So you when you if you drink for a long period of time, eventually you're going to get cirrhosis, right? Which is irreparable liver damage. You're not necessarily an alcoholic, but you will have physical problems from it, right? So yeah. let's take let's take two alcoholics, right? Hypothetically. Okay. You've got one alcoholic that's been drinking for a number of years. They go to the doctor and the doctor, you know, said, well, I got your blood work back and, you know, we're going to have to do a biopsy and, you know, check out your liver and they go do a biopsy and it comes back and the doctor says, look, you've got cirrhosis. You need to stop drinking. You're going to die. And that person never drinks again. Right. Now there's another alcoholic that gets told the same things, has the same cirrhosis and cannot stop drinking. Right. No, even in the face of their own death, because that's what eventually will lead to, they can't stop. Well, that would be addiction, right? That would be the difference right. between those two people. That would right. be like addiction taking over. So I would say that your friend that had all that stuff go wrong and she just quit one day, she has a different scenario than 
most addicts. Right. Mo- if most addicts could just stop, there w- they would. There would be no rehabs. There right. would be no need for it. Exactly. Well, that, because what she said was she said, I wasn't addicted. She said, I never had a bad experience. She said, it. I, you know, I actually enjoyed it. But at one point, she had whatever wake-up call she had, and she just quit doing it. Yeah, it's called the scared straight method. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but she wasn't, she was doing it recreationally, like you say, how some of your friends, and I grew up with kids too, not so much in the drug, there, there weren't drugs so much that time, or at least I didn't know about it, but kids who would get bombed, I mean, so completely bombed that they were throwing up in the bushes right. every Friday night, and every Friday night they would say to me, because I was usually the one who was helping them, because I didn't get super drunk, you know, they would say, oh, I'll never do this again. I'll never, never do this again until next Friday night. And <laughs> it would happen again. Yeah, but but the the difference between using the drugs to solve a problem, I think, I think is that's the key difference. The key. That's yep. the key. That's it. And luckily, there's a solution. Yep. Like I like I like to tell everybody who's listening every single week, there is a there solution. There is a complete solution to all of this. Yep. And um, you know that's why I'm glad we're doing this, and I want people to keep listening. Yep. Because. A lot of people – addiction is not one of those things that's just like discussed amongst people on a regular basis. I mean I like to have conversations other people can't feel like they can't have on their own. That's right. And hopefully we can answer some questions for some people and inspire some people to call if they need help. Yeah. Well, parents don't like to admit it because I think if you're a parent of a, a girl or a boy that you suspect has a drug problem, the first thing you're going to do is think that you somehow are responsible for that. Right. And you know, the point is, it doesn't matter if you're responsible or not. Now is the point where if you suspect there's a drug problem, you can take responsibility for it now. Be responsible for the solution. Right. It doesn't matter whether you were responsible for the problem in the first place. Maybe you're putting too much pressure on your kid to be good in school or whatever. It doesn't matter. Be responsible for the solution and get them get them to a program like Narconon that's going to work for them. You know, it doesn't, even if it means that you are somehow a failure as a mother or a father, so what? How far do you want to take that failure? Do you want to take that failure all the way to where your kid overdoses? Or would you like to maybe admit, okay, I was a failure, but I'm going to handle it now. I'm not going to let it become any worse. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I can see how a parent would think that. I would think that if my kids became addicts, I would think that there was some... Something that I hadn't done properly. And, and that's definitely a topic I can talk on for a long, long, long time. They, is the fact that parents think it's their fault. Yeah. Their and you get that, don't they? Don't you get them coming into you all the time. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't want to open that can of worms right now. Um, <laughs> because, because that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast because, right. you know, a, a, normal, a parent's normal reaction would to be to look at their child that's now an addict and say, man... Where did I go wrong? What did I do? How did I fail as a parent? Right. And um, for those of you listening, we are going to discuss that um, at some point. Um, but that's a, that's a whole lengthy discussion because it goes into the two sides of that. Right. And the, so. the other thing, though, is for the parent who thinks that could never happen to my child. Um, I hope that that's true. But I've seen, again, I've seen... There's a couple of movies I've seen. One of them is a series on HBO called Warning, This Drug Can Kill. It's all about opioids. And there's a family with three boys. And I think it's the oldest boy, 19, you know, put on opioid or prescribed opioids for a surgery and died four years later from a heroin overdose. So we're not talking about a kid who's poor. 
We're not talking about a kid who grew up in the projects. We're not talking about a kid who, you know, had to struggle for life, who was in the foster care system. We are talking about a kid in a middle-class home or a woman who has three beautiful children and a husband who's making all the money and ends up dying from a heroin overdose. So for parents or loved ones who are sitting there thinking there's no way that could ever happen, if you suspect it's happening, bite the bullet, call the 800 number, which is 877-339-3324, and call it today. Anybody listening, make sure and send all the love you can to your mother, because Sunday is Mother's Day. Yes, and if my mother's listening, happy Mother's Day. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. You have been listening to Point of No Return, the addiction podcast. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.